Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Common Sense with Dr. Ben Carson. Welcome to another episode of Common Sense. I'm Dr. Ben Carson. So thrilled to have you with us today. We're going to be talking about election integrity. And, uh, you know, it is so important that people trust the results of elections. And we've seen a lot of distrust on both sides in recent elections. And we're going to talk today about what can be done, including how do we restore faith in our system? I'll tell you how we don't restore it, by not talking about it. You know, we've reached a situation where people say, you can't talk about the election. You can't talk about any possible things that were done wrong. You can't talk about fraud. You know, some of the networks won't even mention such terms. Uh, you know, that doesn't make a lot of sense. That's sort of like... Somebody stole the cookies from the cookie jar and then said, no one can talk about the cookie jar. Uh, that's, that's not a good approach for a transparent, open, and fair society. So today we're going to be talking about how we can change that. And we have a wonderful guest. And I think we all know the name, Dinesh D'Souza, whose most recent political documentary, 2000 Mules is the most successful political documentary since his last political documentary, <laughs> Obama's America. You know, he, he makes all of these very successful documentaries. But of course, uh, you know, the left has come out in droves uh, with criticisms. And uh, of course, there's nothing that's ever perfect. There's no question about that. But we'll be exploring with uh, Dinesh today, uh, why he made this movie, uh, what he hoped to accomplish, uh, some of the criticisms that have been leveled. And we need to all be thinking about how do we get rid of the distrust that people have for our election system? You know, people don't trust the voting machines. Uh, people don't trust a lot of the nonprofits. Uh, they don't trust the method methodologies that are used. And uh, hopefully after this program, we can all be starting to think about what we can do in our sphere of influence uh, to make a difference. So uh, Dinesh, thank you for being here. Uh, we, You are a true patriot, but I don't think many people know a whole lot about your background and your upbringing. Uh, could, could you just start out by telling us a little bit about that? Certainly, um, thank you for having me. And um, I grew up in a middle-class family in Bombay, India. <clears throat> I have a brother and sister and uh, <clears throat> they're still in India. I came to America at the age of 17. Um, I was selected for a sort of rotary youth exchange program. So I came on a one-year exchange fellowship I lived in Arizona with host families. I went to the 12th grade of high school. 
but I sort of caught the American bug. I ended up applying to college. I went to Dartmouth in New Hampshire. And in a sense, I, I came and I never went home. I stayed on, uh, became an American citizen. Now that took me a while. I became a, a citizen in 1991. In fact, after having served for a couple of years in the Reagan White House. Uh, and I've been in, for most of my career, in so-called think tanks, the American Enterprise Institute, the Hoover Institution. Um, but for the last 10 years or so, I have, in addition to my normal career of writing books and giving speeches, I also got into the documentary film business and I've made now six documentaries of which 2000 Mules is the latest one. Mm, incredible. And, uh, and what about your family? You have, uh, I think, just like Candy and I, you and Debbie have three children, do you not? We do. We actually have uh, uh, three in their 20s and they range from 22 to 27. Um, my daughter, Danielle, is very involved in politics. In fact, she was the youngest um, a uh, member of Women for Trump. She was on the Women for Trump board and did some traveling with the campaign. Uh, and she's now doing a, a show for the Epoch uh, Times, uh, Epoch TV. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, I've, um, I'm very proud of my family and Debbie and I work together on all our projects and in fact do the film, uh, the films together. Fantastic. Well, let's get to what everybody's talking about these days. Your most recent uh, movie, 2000 Mules that uh, highlighted some of the questionable things that may have happened during the 2020 election. Why was this an important film to make and, and what did you hope to accomplish? The film I found interesting and uh, I got behind it. Uh, it's based upon the research done by an election intelligence group called True the Vote. And the reason I found their work fascinating is they approach the whole topic of election fraud in a completely original way. <clears throat> they don't rely on pointing out anomalies, you know, things like how did Trump win the bill, bellwether counties and still lose the election? Because anomalies are strange, but anomalies sometimes do have explanations. Strange things can sometimes be accounted for. Uh, and many other people have pointed to episodic fraud, you know, a dead guy voting over here, a guy moved out of state over there, but that's not systematic fraud. And courts, when they consider these matters, they use a principle that is called the but-for principle. But for this alleged fraud, would the election have come out differently? So if you're talking about fraud that's too minimal to affect the outcome, it's interesting and it doesn't mean we shouldn't look at it, but it's not gonna change the, the result. And for this reason, courts tend by and large to look away from those kinds of claims. Um, but what I found with True the Vote is that they were looking at this in a novel way uh, using new forms of technology that are now being used in many other walks of life, in particular so-called cell phone geo-tracking, the tracking of the movements of your phone. Uh, and they were also able to obtain some video evidence. Just, just a moment on the geo-tracking. Can they specifically identify an individual's phone? Yes, absolutely. All our phones have a unique ID. It's not the cell phone number. It's a code inside the phone. And you can almost call it a digital signature. It belongs only to that phone. Now, obviously, you or I can give our phone to our wife, and our wives can be at the Dropbox stuffing the ballots. But that your phone is at that location and that given time is not open to reasonable doubt. And that is actually used by the police and the FBI to uh, track criminals now, is it not? Absolutely. It's used all the time. In fact, in the movie itself, there is a, uh, we talk about a murder. And what True the Vote does is they buy the cell phone geo-tracking and they show that when you look at the shooter, by the way, this is the murder of a young girl, Sikoria Turner, in Atlanta, right about the, in the months leading up to the election. She was shot right outside of Wendy's at a, at a Black Lives Matter riot. And uh, essentially what True the Vote does is they buy the cell phone data and they show that when you look at the time and the location and the angle of the shot, there's only a handful of cell phone devices that could have been the shooter. It doesn't mean you know exactly who it is, but you can draw a circle and say, these are some plausible suspects that law enforcement needs to look at. And it's, and it's that exact same technology that is now being applied to ballot trafficking. Mm, interesting. So how, how is it that you became aware of this? And how were you actually able to access the data. Can anybody so get it? Yeah, you can get it and I can get it. True the Vote was able to get it. They, they got a grant 
from a from a donor, uh, and they were able to they spent about a million dollars and they bought the movement of every cell phone in the greater Atlanta area, in Phoenix, in Milwaukee, in Detroit, and the greater Philadelphia area for this time period, October one through election day. And in Georgia, they also bought it for the runoffs, the, the, the Senate runoffs in early January. So they bought the movement of every cell phone in a particular area. And then they searched for phones, for cell phone devices that went to 10 or more mail-in drop boxes. It's very important to realize that we're not talking about post boxes because you and I may go to the post office to, set, to drop off a utility bill and to pay our mortgage and to send a letter to my mom. But a, a ballot drop box exists for only one purpose, to put in ballots. So there's no reason for someone to go to more than one ballot drop box. But by setting the high bar of 10 or more, there's really no innocent explanation. The only reason to go to 10 or more drop boxes is to stuff ballots into them. Anybody can get this data? Who do, who do they pay to get this data? So uh, you probably don't know, but there is a giant industry in the country now that aggregates this data from our cell phones. This is, by the way, not pinging off of towers like in the old days. Our cell phones contain within them apps that uh, enable um, people to precisely pinpoint our location. And this data is available on the open market. There are about 40 aggregators that put this data together and sell it. It's bought by Apple, it's bought by CVS. This is why when you go to the mall and you get a notification that says that the store right across from you is having a sale, how do they know you're there? Because they've purchased this data. You go on vacation to Naples, Florida, you get off the plane, it tells you the weather in Naples. How do they know you're there? That's because they're geo-tracking your phone. Boy, this must be a gold mine for private eyes, huh? <laughs> it's a gold mine for law enforcement. Uh, by the way, it was used to arrest a number of the January 6th defendants. They were geo-tracked. Their phones were geo-tracked from inside the Capitol and around the Capitol. Uh, it was used to help find bin Laden by the CIA. They, they geo-tracked not bin Laden's phone, but the phone of one of his associates. This is shown in the movie Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, it's used by the CDC to figure out if people are social distancing. So this is a widely used technology, and that's and all that True the Vote did was they cleverly decided, let's take this reliable technology and apply it to election integrity. Hmm, interesting. Now, what about the cameras? Are, are there cameras at all the drop boxes, or how do they determine which ones to, to film? Well, the, um, the law, the election rules, call for 24-hour surveillance of all drop boxes. Uh, but in fact, very few states did that. So in, in True the Vote study, they look at the five key states, so Pennsylvania, uh, Georgia, uh, Arizona, uh, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Of those states, most of them did not take video. Uh, there's no video in Wisconsin at all. Uh, there may be some video in Pennsylvania, but True the Vote has not been able to obtain it. There's very little video in Michigan. In Maricopa County, for some unexplained reason, Lots of the drop boxes, which had surveillance cameras, the cameras were turned off. Mm. Uh, and even in Georgia, where we have video, most of the video in the movie is from Georgia, uh, only about 15%, less than 15% of the drop boxes had surveillance. So this actually is important because one of the critiques of the movie is, Dinesh, you're not showing the same mule at multiple drop boxes on video. And my answer is, look, I can show you that his cell phone was at all these locations, but it turns out that out of 10 uh, drop boxes, only one of them has video. So I can tell you his cell phone will show that at 1 a.m. in the morning he got to that drop box. You look in the video and there he is. But I wish I could show you him at the other boxes, but they didn't have any video. Ah, okay. That explains a lot right there. All right. Well, look, this is fascinating. We will be right back after a short break. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. 
visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, and we're back. Common Sense, this week's guest, Dinesh D'Souza, a name that has become a household word in America. And uh, Dinesh, uh, first of all, congratulations on, on all the amazing work that you've done over the years to try to reveal things. I know it has made you less than popular uh, among certain factions of our political system, <laughs> and that uh, you, you actually paid a significant price, didn't you? actually have to spend some time in prison? Well, not prison per se, but a so-called confinement center, which is a federal uh, confinement facility, typically for people who have served their sentences and are at the very end of their sentences before they're released into the general public. So I spent eight months in overnight confinement at a facility outside of San Diego, a very eye-opening experience, and in some ways one that helped me to see more deeply into the way in which politics has now become a little gangsterized in America. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you've uh, you've you've heard all of these charges, you know, about things being less than above board. Are you convinced in your mind that there was enough things that it could potentially have changed the election result? Potentially, yes. And I say this with a little bit of care, because there is one thing that you can't do that would clinch the case. And so you have to approach this another way. The one thing you cannot do is go back to the ballots and find, if you will, the fraudulent or counterfeit ballots. Why? Because once a, an absentee or mail-in ballot is taken out of the envelope, the only name and address and signature are on the envelope. And once the ballot is then detached from it, you can never put those two pieces back together. And again, the ballot goes, then is mixed in with all the other ballots. And so there's no way to reverse engineer the 2020 election. I have to admit that up front. Right. But <clears throat> what we are able to show is that you've got a large population, we call it 2,000 meals, because at least 2,000 mm -hmm. of these paid political operatives who are del delivering illegal and fraudulent votes to ballot drop boxes. We don't have the names of those people, but True the Vote does have their cell phone IDs, which means that law enforcement can easily unmask them. The process of unmasking is nothing more than getting a warrant and going to the cell phone provider and getting their names and then going to the mules and basically saying, you know, who put you up to this? Who paid you? Where do you get the ballots from? Who gave them to you? And so on. And that really, I think, is the logical next step in this process. Of course, there are many people resisting that step, acting like, well, nothing needs to be done. But quite frankly, if you really want to find out what's going on, or even to try to prove the film wrong, you could do that by taking that next step. Well, why aren't they doing it? Because of politics. So if you look at the areas we're focused on, they are heavily democratic urban areas. We're talking about Philadelphia. We're talking about Detroit. We're talking about Milwaukee. So typically, you have a democratic political establishment in those areas, democratic secretary of state in many cases, democratic attorney general. So these guys are not going to be too hasty or eager to want to investigate fraud that is coming from their side. Now, there's a couple of exceptions, and that is um, Mark Burnovich is the attorney general in Arizona. He does have the power to do prosecutions, and in fact, he is going about it. So there is some progress in Arizona, not so much in Maricopa, which is a heavily democratic area, but in Yuma County, uh, in Arizona, the sheriff has arrested people. He has raided uh, one of the nonprofits. Uh, he has opened 16 voter fraud cases um, th that he's currently investigating. So there is stuff that's going on. In Georgia, there's an investigation in response to what True the Vote has submitted. But I'm, I'm a little less sure where that's going. It appears to be something moving, well, let's just say at a little bit of a Durham-like tortoise pace. <laughs> 
Well, you know, it seems to me that the mules were doing what they were doing for monetary reasons. And therefore, if you were to offer them some money to come forward, you could prove who they were based on the information from the cell phone. So you could tell they, that they were legitimate mules. And uh, they could then tell who put them up to that. Would that not seem like a, a reasonable approach? It's a very good idea. And I'm actually going to start thinking about it because uh, I might very well, and you'll know exactly where the idea came from if I do it, I'll be offering a reward in each of the five states for the first person to come forward. It may, you know what? It may not be the mule who comes forward, but you know what? I think if you offered a sum of money, somebody's going to come forward and identify mules. Uh, it could be like, you know, my friend down the street was boasting about how he put in, you know, 400 ballots. And uh, so I think, yes, just precisely because law enforcement seems to be moving in a very sluggish even so or uh, manner, uh, something like this may be needed to goad the process forward. Yeah. Well, I'm curious about uh, what you think about, you know, what's going on right now with the, the January 6th uh, commission hearings. Uh What's, what's your opinion of what we're going to learn from that? Well, I think it is, um, it is a staged affair. It's important for people to realize, quite apart from what I think about it, that this is not a real trial. Uh, ordinary Americans might be fooled into thinking that they're watching some kind of a trial. But in a trial, you have adversaries, you have cross-examination, uh, you have an ability to test uh, evidence. None of that is going on here. This is a one-sided operation. It's essentially Democrats on the committee and the Republicans on the committee are on the same side as the Democrats. And so it's a kind of, uh, you could almost call it an anti-Trump, you know, theatrical performance that, that is being done with the collusion and, and help of the media. Uh, but it's, it shouldn't be mistaken for a genuine fact-finding investigation when they, when they read a tweet from Trump, they will often edit the tweet so that if he ends with something like love and compassion, they won't say that because it undercuts the narrative that he's provoking violence. And so you're getting a highly edited, selected version of events, not a full picture. Yeah, it, it, it has been troublesome, you know, looking at the role of the media uh, more recently, because, as you know, the press is the only business that's protected by a constitution. And the reason for that is because they're supposed to disseminate unbiased information to the people so that the people can make decisions. Uh, when they put their thumb on the scale, it really distorts the original intent of the way that our country was set up. And it, it's where I think we're starting to see some of the uh, rotten fruits from that. But, uh, I don't think that most of the people in the, in the media today have really thought this thing through. Because when you look at communist and socialist regimes, the first thing they do when they gain absolute power is totally control the media. So do they recognize that they are in the process of creating their own demise? Uh, I suspect they would say, Oh, we're not going to go socialist. We're not going to go communist. All you have to do is look, read the tea leaves. Uh, you know, the, the handwriting is on the wall. This is the way it always starts. And uh, manipulating people's rights, uh, their freedom of speech. Some people say, but we have complete freedom of speech. Do you really? If, if media and big tech can shut you down and can basically cancel you with the compliance of the government, isn't that the same as if the government were doing it? And, you know, that's something that we have to think about as citizens of this great country as our rights are slowly eroding. Although I do think people are waking up. What, what, what is your impression as you travel around? I want to ask you that. And then after that, uh, I, I would really like to hear your thoughts about election processes in other parts of the world and how they differ from ours. Well, I mean, this, the, the relevance of censorship, you can't really uh, function without being conscious of it. Now, if you're on the left, you might say, I have complete free speech. And that's, that's because it's your side that's doing the censoring. 
So you don't, it doesn't affect you. And therefore you think, wow, this free speech is alive and well in America. Uh, now, uh, this was the first movie I have released in an age of censorship. Uh, typically my movies have come out in mass theatrical release and then I'll release them on Amazon Prime, on Apple iTunes. But I realized this movie can't be like that because if I put on Apple iTunes, they might take it down uh, the week of its release. Uh, same with Amazon Prime. Amazon has played all kinds of games with our last movie. They, they had a whole bunch of DVDs in stock, but they just put currently unavailable or out of stock. And so these are ways in which people, and it, it may not be the company, it might be just some people in the company doing this. But, um, you know, there's no question that if you're discussing election fraud, the most banned topic in the country. I mean, there are other topics that are banned from COVID to climate change, but no topic is more aggressively banned than the topic of election fraud. So I realized from the beginning, if I make a movie on this topic, I will never be able to put the trailer on YouTube. I will not be able to buy ads on Facebook. The normal ways that you today market a movie will be unavailable to me. And so you can see right there the fact that I had to put the movie only on sort of uncancelable platforms, which I did. And the fact that it's done so well is really remarkable, especially when you add to this the fact that Fox News, for some weird reason, issued some sort of an order not to even mention the name 2000 Mules. None of the hosts have to date mentioned the name of the movie. And so uh, we're operating in a very surreal and bizarre environment in which normal things can't be openly discussed, especially something as important as election integrity. Yeah, it is obviously very, very troubling. And I, I do believe that people are starting to wake up though. As I travel around the country, uh, people are talking about these issues. People who used to stand in the corner with their head down and hope that nobody noticed them or called them a nasty name are starting to get involved. They're getting involved in their children's education. Uh, they're getting involved with uh, policing, local policing, uh, with all kinds of issues, which is the way our country was actually designed. And, you know, sometimes <clears throat> it's darkest before the dawn. Uh, and, you know, sometimes bad things have to happen uh, in order to wake people up. And I, I am hoping and praying that that's what's happening in our country right now. But uh, you've, you've traveled widely. Um, do you know of any other country that has a voting season <laughs> rather than a voting day? Well, you know, elections are, are um, they're all over the place, all over the world. And, um, when I was a kid in India, for example, uh, my home was near a kind of large sprawl of slums. And in election time, I would see trucks that would come by and they were by and large sent by the ruling party. People would jump out of these trucks and start handing out blankets and food and all kinds of stuff. And it was a kind of a, you know, a way of buying your vote because it was election time. They were trying to say, we're going to be nice to you. We expect you to be nice to us was an election fraud, perhaps in an open way, but there was no question that there was an effort here going on to sort of bribe the voter on the eve of the election. So I saw some of that, but you know, I, I think for most of my life in America, I've had a relatively civics bo uh, book view of America. The FBI can be trusted. Those guys are right out of the movie, The Untouchables. They're gonna go after the bad guys. And if you, if you tell me 95% of all people accused of a federal crime take a plea bargain, I would go, well, yeah, that's because they did it. Why else would they go after them? So a lot, I think part of what's happened to me and to many other Americans over the past few years is we've become a lot more skeptical of institutions that we previously trusted. I used to walk into an election booth, pull the curtain, cast my vote, and it never crossed my mind that somehow there would be some shenanigans or someone would not tabulate those votes honestly, or we wouldn't get an accurate count of those votes at the end of the day. I just took all of that for granted. And part of the message of this movie, I think, walking out for people is, listen, particularly as Republicans, we can't take all of that for granted. Republicans tend to focus on the campaign, but Democrats tend to focus more minutely on the election, the actual mechanics of the election. Although it was, uh, it was quite interesting last November in Virginia, um, they had a ton of volunteers uh, who were trained, and they covered 96% of the uh, precincts. And uh, I think that kind of thing makes a difference. And people are just going to have to recognize that they're going to have to get involved. Uh, you, you can't stand around and, and hope 
and then complain afterwards. You've got to get involved. And, you know, that also goes for, for how you vote. Because I hate to say this, but the majority of people, when they go into the voting booth, they look for the name that looks familiar. It could be Satan. I don't care. They just look for the name that looks familiar. And they don't know anything about these people. And uh, so they continue to get the same dismal result. And I always admonish people to, you know, be the same way you are with your child. You want your child to do their homework and, uh, you know, not just to be guessing at things. And uh, you want them to be well-educated. Well, this is critical to having a successful democratic republic, having a well-educated and informed populace. Without that, uh, politicians simply come in and manipulate. And uh, they're very good at manipulating people, particularly people who are not well-informed. I think people are realizing also for the first time that, that the reason that we are facing these economic and other types of consequences is because of the kind of people that we vote for and uh, who we choose makes a difference. And so I think this is waking people up to be more informed and, and participate more. And we're going to be right back with uh, our honored guest, Dinesh D'Souza. And uh, we're going to ask him what he thinks can be done to restore faith in our election system. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. back again with Dinesh D'Souza talking about bigger issues than just election. We're talking about our country right now. And, uh, but one question I would like to ask you before I transition to another area very quickly is what do you think should be done right now to restore faith? There's so many people who just do not have faith in our system anymore. I mean, some of the things that are being done in the so-called voter integrity laws are good, um, but they're not sufficient. We obviously need uh, people to be able to identify themselves. Voter IDs is critical. Signature matching is critical, especially for absentee ballots. I mean, think about it. When you show up to vote in person, there are ways to verify that it's you. But if you're sending in an absentee or mail-in ballot, you're not there. You're, all they have is an envelope. So they need to make sure that that envelope is coming and has been signed by an actual eligible valid voter. And if you don't do that, then essentially you have allowed the process to become vulnerable to all kinds of fraud and, and corruption. The other important thing is to have surveillance on the drop boxes. I mean, it seems unbelievable in a time when technology doesn't cost very much and when every you know Home Depot, every mall, every parking lot, every ATM has surveillance, why we wouldn't have surveillance on the drop boxes is, is kind of unbelievable. It's actually mandated in the election rules. And many states said they would do it, but then they used the pretext of COVID in 2020 not to do it. Many sensible and practical ways that you can improve the process. I mean, obviously, ideally, I'd like to have a single election day. People show up in person, they vote. There are obviously exceptions for people who are military and away or people who are sick and incapacitated. I understand all that. 
But by and large, that would be the ideal. But I also know that election laws are made at the state level, which means you're going to have a variety of laws. Some states are obviously going to continue to have drop boxes. And I think if you're going to have drop boxes, you need to have constant surveillance on them. It sounds like a lot of people have actually thought these things through and put the right regulations in place. It's just that we don't enforce them. <laughs> we don't do what has been suggested. And so the problem continues. There's going to have to be a real commitment on behalf of, of those who have been empowered by the people to do their job. And yeah, I, I mean, make it should difference. be... It is worth noting, though, that there is a party, the Democratic Party, that fights all these reforms. Their, their, their catch-all phrase is voter suppression. It's almost as if they were to say that, listen, if you ask a bank teller to check the signature on the check and make sure it's written by the person it claims to be, that's banking suppression because it's going to discourage people from writing checks or going to the bank. Or if an air, airline says you got to show your ID before you go through security, that's airline suppression. People, you know, people of color can't really get those. I mean, no one, it's so ridiculous in any other context. People get IDs to go to the bank, to open a bank account, to go to the doctor. Uh, and yet somehow when it comes to voting, it turns out to be something that's supposedly all too difficult for people like you and me you know, people of color, supposedly, we just don't know how to go about doing those things. Well, that actually brings me to, to my next question. Uh, and that is, it seems like all of a sudden, everything circles back to race in our country. After enormous amounts of progress have been made. And uh, we're in a place where schools are teaching children that the most important determinant of what happens to them is the color of their skin. And uh, I don't know what your experience has been since you came to America, but what do you think is the state of race in America? You know, I have a book that we recently released uh, called Created Equal, The Painful Past, Confusing Present, and Hopeful Future of Race in America. Um, so it's something that I've been thinking about uh, diligently. But I'd like to, like to hear what you think about the state of race in America. Well, my view is that we need to, um, we need the concept of a colorblind, not necessarily a colorblind society, but colorblind laws. Uh, there's a difference because sometimes when you say to people, you know, they, they think you're saying to them that you should ignore people's appearance, you should ignore their culture, you should ignore their history, and that colorblind implies a certain kind of erasure of identity. But no, uh, I'm not saying that we should do that. I mean, obviously, if you take Indian Americans as a group, we, we are recognizable. By and large, we can be picked out of a crowd pretty easily. Uh, we're distinctive ethnically in that sense. We have a distinctive history. Some of us speak Indian as well as, uh, you know, Western languages. Um, we don't want to erase that, but if, if you or I are competing uh, in a race or in a basketball game or we're competing in a math test or in the firefighters test or we both want to be uh, admitted to the civil service, is there any alternative in a multiracial society than to say, listen, we're going to look at your characteristics as an individual. We're going to look and see what you bring to the table and we're going to judge you based upon, go to go back to Martin Luther King, the content of your character. I don't see how a society can really move forward unless it adopts that race-blind principle. Yeah, and particularly, you know, if you have a multiracial society, uh, all you can do is create conflict. And, uh, you know, those people who are convincing the white kids that they are oppressors and all their relatives are oppressors, to what good end is that? And teaching minority kids that they are victims, how is that going to improve anybody's situation? And I'm, I'm not sure that they really have thought these things through, other than the fact that there's a faction that wants to fundamentally change America. Uh, they have never liked who we are as Americans, and they think they have a better mousetrap. But in order to get the better mousetrap, 
you got to convince everyone that the mousetrap you have is not working and it's no good. And uh, I see a lot of that uh, in some of these policies that are being put forth. But uh, I also am very curious about uh, what you think about socialism. Uh, and are we in danger of moving into that realm? I think so. A couple of years ago, I published a book called United States of Socialism. Uh, and it made the point that in America, uh, socialism is not going to look the same as it looked, for example, in China, uh, or it looked in the old Soviet Union. Um, so uh, socialism in America takes on a distinctive characteristic. I called it identity socialism. Why? It's a marriage of identity politics and socialism. You notice that in America, the, the class distinction is less potent than the ethnic or racial distinction. And the left has also been doing its best to poison gender distinctions, in fact, to sort of obliterate them. And so what you have here is the attempt to resurrect identity politics. Now, for Marx, identity politics was not a good thing. Marx actually thought that identity politics was a tactic used by the ruling class to divide the working class one from the other. Um, but in today's socialism, it marches behind the banner of identity politics, and it seeks to take the Marxian division, which is basically the rich against the poor, and add to it a multi-layer division, not just rich against poor, but black against white, male against female, straight against gay. And so you essentially divide the society and polarize it many different ways, uh, ultimately to create a socialist ruling class that will adjudicate and arbitrate these conflicts. <clears throat> yeah, that sounds exactly right. Now, you know, you seem to be unafraid of controversy. And uh, what motivates you to keep going? I mean, you are being attacked constantly. Uh, what, what motivates you? I mean, you've done well in life. You could sit back and just play golf, and read your books, and relax, and have a good time. Why do, why do you do this, knowing that you're going to be attacked so vigorously? Well, I think the reason is twofold. One is, I think that my life has been uh, remarkably blessed in America. I've uh, not only heard about the American dream, talked about the American dream, but I've had a chance to live it out. And live it out not merely in the, in the sense that the American dream of bettering yourself or having a more prosperous life, but being the architect of your own life, being able to do things with your life that you would not be able to do if you stayed in your own home country. So I'm very grateful to America and I feel like part of what I'm doing is settling a debt, uh, which is to say giving back uh, to a country that has given me so much. That's, that's one of my motivations. The other is that I've developed a personality and maybe this has arisen out of this kind of political minefield and conflict in which my <clears throat> persona in normal life is completely different from in public life. In normal life, I avoid controversy. I try to find the middle ground. I'm always, in a sense, uh, trying to, to get the other person's point of view, and I'm very non-confrontational. However, in the public domain, I'm the exact opposite, which is to say, I recognize that the left is very hard-hitting uh, I actually am a little bit <clears throat> unnerved by the kind of placidity and easygoingness and nice guyism of the Republicans because I think that the left takes advantage of it. One reason the left does the things it does is it counts on us not to do it to them. They say, we'll censor you because even if those guys come to power, they'd never censor us. We'll use the deep state against them because even if they come to power, they'll never use the deep state against us. We'll pack the court because even if they come to power, they will establish, they are very content to have the justices number just nine. So the left basically feels that, that this aggression on their part will never be reciprocated by our side. And so part of my mission here is to toughen the spine of the Republican Party, not to exactly mimic or imitate the Democrats, but to recognize that we're up against some people who don't play by the same rules. And, you know, I'm very hopeful that we will come to a place in our society where we don't think in terms of Republicans and Democrats. We, we think in terms of Americans and people who grasp the principles that made us into a great nation. I mean, you think about it. 
we went from a bunch of ragtag militiamen to the pinnacle of the world in record time. Uh, not Democrats, not Republicans, but Americans who had that can-do attitude, who had a sense of faith, who recognized that there was such thing as good and evil, who practiced love your neighbor, not cancel your neighbor, individuals who believed in liberty and who were willing to do what was necessary to maintain that liberty for themselves and for their neighbors, people who believe in community and would do anything for the others in their community to strengthen the whole, and people who respected life from the womb to the tomb. And that's where we have to get back to. And I, and I hope that, you know, we, as you know, are a very reactive country. You know, we, <laughs> we just uh, don't sort of plan ahead and, and do what needs to be done, but we react like crazy. And the reaction to the extreme left may be too much. It may move too far. And it's something that we're all going to have to think about. Uh, and we need to start thinking more as Americans than as Democrats or Republicans. But your voice is so incredibly important. And I just want to thank you for being with us today, for sharing these amazing thoughts, and for having the courage to stand up for what you believe in. And we'll be right back with some closing thoughts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I hope you all had an opportunity to really enjoy the discussion today. A lot of things were covered, but election integrity is the bedrock of a democratic republic, which is what we have in this country. And if people don't trust the system, it's going to be chaos. We've already seen some evidence of that. And what we're going to have to do is learn to work together. This is not about Democrats or Republicans. This is about Americans who want to have a system that is just and fair. Liberty and justice for all. That's what it's all about. And we each have a sphere of influence. And we can make a difference. So I have a task for each one of you. Make sure that you are registered to vote. And make sure that those who are eligible to vote in your household are registered to vote. And make sure that the people in your sphere of influence are registered to vote. We have a country that is a beautiful country. People have said that it's a systemically racist country, an awful place for certain people. But if that were the case, why would people be forming caravans trying to get in here? And when they got in here, wouldn't they be calling their relatives and saying, don't come here, this is the last place you want to be? That obviously is not what is happening. We have something that is worth 
protecting, but we can only do it if we all work together. And uh, thank you all for being with us today. And take the pledge to vote. And vote for people who agree with you. But to know whether they agree with you, you got to study them. you got to look them up. you got to find out how they have expressed their opinions on various issues. Don't just go in that booth and look for a name that looks familiar. That doesn't work. And if we all do that, first of all, we're going to find that we're not each other's enemies. And for the most part, we want the same things. And we allow ourselves to be manipulated by politicians who are power-hungry individuals. And they don't care what they do to you or to me or to our families. They just want power. It's pathological. But our founders understood that there would be people like that. And that's why they gave us the system we have. We just have to make sure that we exercise it. So in closing, please subscribe for free. Free. That's a cool cool word, isn't it? Uh, Apple, Pod, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And we'd like very much to hear from you. Send any questions you have to me, ben at americancornerstone.org. We'll try to answer them on the show. And until next week, I want you to remember those cornerstone principles. Faith, liberty, community, and life. See you next time.